emotion to wipe clean the guilt and to free us from the tightly held anger and bitterness. This is how God heals the world. He heals his people. He heals you and he heals me so that we can begin healing the world by living like healed people. And Steve left us with this challenge. What if we begin each day in conversation with the Holy Spirit and we ask this question? What is the healing that you have for me today, Lord? So today, we jump back to the end of Matthew where Jesus is meeting with his disciples for the very last time and Jesus is giving them their marching orders in what is commonly called the Great Commission. And Jacqueline is going to come forward now and read this scripture passage for us today. Yeah, mine is sort of falling apart, but I, it's like I had to have it here, even though I'm not reading from it, but it's my rock. The scripture passage today... Do you want me to hold this for you? Yes. Oh, make it, or you want to do it? I'm good. The scripture passage, passage today comes to us from the 28th chapter of Matthew, verses 16 to 20. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to a mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much. You can take that with you. Okay. And I'll give you that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Great job. I'll, you want to take that with and give it back to him? Okay, cool. Thank you. Thank That's you. awesome. Thanks, Jacqueline. So let's pray. Open our hearts and minds, O Lord, to the words just read by Jacqueline and the words that are yet to come, that we might encounter you in a new way. Amen. So with the focus this past week on identifying my broken parts and asking for healing, there was one little word that jumped out at me from the passage today, doubt. Doubt can be crippling. It can be paralyzing. Doubt for a Christian feels like kryptonite to Superman. Tahera Mafi wrote in her novel, Ignite Me. For so many years, I lived in constant terror of myself. Doubt had married my fear and moved into my mind where it built castles and ruled kingdoms and reigned over me, bowing my will to its whispers until I was little more than an acquiescing peon, too terrified to disobey, too terrified to disagree. 
I had been shackled, a prisoner in my own mind. But finally, finally I have learned to break free. We all have doubts, don't we? From silly things like in our house before Friday, we doubted that the Cavs would ever get a win against the Warriors. Right, Kevin? To more serious things like we doubt if the world will ever be a safe place again. Did you happen to see the movie called Doubt, starring Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman? Brilliant acting, and since it came out like nine years ago, I feel safe in having just a little bit of a spoiler in this explanation. So the movie Doubt, set in 1964, working-class Bronx neighborhood, opens during a mass where Father Flynn, who is played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, finishes his sermon by talking about the crisis of faith that sometimes enter in all of our lives, and whenever people feel lost. They shouldn't feel alone because even the bravest and the most faithful have doubt from time to time. Sister Aloysius, played by Meryl Streep, gathers enough tidbits of information to come to the conclusion that Father Flynn is acting inappropriately with the first African American boy to be in their school. She is stoic, joyless, and is doing her duty to protect the children and to make sure that justice is served. But as you watch the movie. You have some doubts. You don't really know if Father Flynn is doing anything wrong or not. Sister Aloysius, though, is like a dog on a bone as she badgers, torments, and she finally gets Father Flynn dismissed from their parish. She appears so confident. She is so zealous in the pursuit of this jo jovial, jovial. Oh, sorry, Father. Only at the very end of the film. Does she confess to another sister that she lied about calling his previous school, where she supposedly corroborated her claims about her beliefs and his inappropriate behavior? Sister Aloysius confessed that even she had doubts, such doubts. As tragic as this was in this movie, these doubts were about a person and his behavior. They weren't doubts about God or faith. The late great theologian George Carlin once said, "Tell people there's an invisible man in the sky who created the universe, and the vast majority will believe him. Tell them that the paint is wet, and they have to touch it to be sure." The message that I hear from this comic is that it's okay to touch paint being dry; it's not okay to doubt God. In fact, when you Google images for doubt, you'll see pictures of a guy that's far away from the cross, sitting on the edge of a cliff, with the title "Doubting God." If you are doubting God, you're so far away from Christ, and your head is in your your head is in your hand in shame. Or you find signs that say things like "Trust God and never doubt," or "Doubt isn't a sin, but it's a temptation to sin." Yet in the Bible, we see that the disciples doubted a fair amount. In fact, all four Gospels talk about how the disciples doubted. At the end of Mark, in chapter 16, Mary Magdalene is telling the guys how she had seen the resurrected Jesus. We read in verse 11, "But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it." Jesus appeared to two disciples as they were walking, and then in verse 13. And they went back and they told the rest, but they didn't believe them. 
In the Gospel of John, of course, we have Doubting Thomas who says, unless I see the marks of the nails in his hand, put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in the sides, I will not believe. The best is in Luke 24. When Jesus appears to the disciples and they think that they're seeing a ghost, Jesus says, why are you so frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See, it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And I just love verse 41. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. The risen Christ, with the scars of his crucifixion, is standing right in front of them, and they still doubt. And what about Peter? who jumps out of the boat to walk on water with Jesus. In Matthew 14, we read that as soon as a strong wind comes up, Peter becomes afraid and he starts to sink. Jesus reaches out a hand to him and says, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And then two short chapters later, Jesus says, you are Peter, you're the rock on which I'm gonna build my church. Doubt didn't disqualify him. Now, since Bible times, the world has been filled with brilliant, faithful people who have had their doubts. Look at Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant church. This year, we will be celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Along with Luther's legacy of being a reformer and being a father of Protestantism, Martin Luther is also remembered for something less grand and much more relatable, doubt. Luther's primary doubts about faith didn't necessarily rest on the questions of God's existence, but on God's character. Ultimately, Luther's legacy is one of reform and a reliance on grace. He is remembered for his impact on the church, but even a church father of his stature still suffered from moments of doubt about his salvation, about his calling, and what God thought about him. How about our very own John Calvin? the father of Reformed theology and our Presbyterian roots. For Calvin, doubt wasn't something Christians should fear. Instead, it was something we should even expect and not be surprised when it creeps into our lives. He said, surely while we teach that faith ought to be certain and assured, we cannot imagine any certainty that is not tinged with doubt or any assurance that is not assailed by some anxiety. Calvin understood that doubt was a part of the faith experience because human nature itself finds ideas about God and his goodness so outside of what we can understand. He said, for unbelief is so deeply rooted in our hearts and we are so inclined to it that, without hard but that not without hard struggle is each one able to persuade himself of what all confess with the mouth namely, that God is faithful. So let's not just stay with the Protestants. Let's look at a couple of famous Catholics as well. Since he was elected as the leader of the Catholic Church in 2013, Pope Francis has been wildly popular and massively influential both inside of the church and out. He was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year for 2013. He undoubtedly has been the most popular pope in recent memory. Who among us has not experienced insecurity, loss, and even doubts on their journey of faith? He told a crowd once, everyone, we've all experienced this. Me too, says the Pope. 
It is part of the journey of faith. It is part of our lives. This should not surprise us because we are human beings marked by fragility and limitations. We are all weak. We all have our limits. Do not panic. We all have them. Mother Teresa of Calcutta is remembered mostly for her selfless service to the poor and the sick. But a book of letters that were printed after her death revealed that even she struggled with doubt. The letters show a different woman than the symbol of Christian love and unwavering faith that so much of the media portrayed her as. She frequently wrote of loneliness, of not hearing from God, personal hypocrisy, and doubts about her own faith. She wrote, Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God. The torture and pain I can't explain. Even though Mother Teresa experienced long chapters of loneliness and feelings of isolation from God, her devotion to her calling never wavered. And today she is remembered for her love of the poor and her heeding of Christ's command to care for others. So do you see the pattern? God uses these great men and women of faith in spite of their doubts. And that's what I heard when I read the scripture passage for us for this day. Jesus commissions not perfect disciples, but people who both worship and doubt. So when all the travelers were meeting the living Jesus, some worshiped, some doubted. Both responses are possible from the same exact group. Among these disciples, there is both worship and uncertainty, both devotion and hesitancy. One might expect something clearer and unequivocal. They are in the presence of the living Christ for crying out loud, but this mixture of faith and doubt seems to characterize discipleship. As Jacqueline read for us, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, said to all of them, even the doubters, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. How does Jesus respond to this mixed group of worshipers and doubters? He gives them all the very same commission, go and make disciples. One might have expected Jesus to do something else, like calling the uncertain to get things figured out, and to the hesitant to answer their unanswered questions. But instead, Jesus speaks to them all in the same way, go and make disciples. And I wonder, maybe doubt isn't a brokenness that needs to be healed, but really more of a benefit. Could it be that doubt is a gift? Thanks to a huge cerebral cortex, we are capable of quite amazing abstract thoughts, pondering the deep mysteries of life in our place in the world and how these two come together, that those thoughts and that ability is actually a gift from God. So I wonder how we would feel 
knowing that we have permission to ask questions and to have doubts, knowing that we don't have to hide our doubts from God or from one another, even here in the church, and that the church just might be one of the best places to be honest about our doubts, because here we can hold each other up. Together, we have enough faith. On our own, sometimes not so much. So while doubt can feel unsettling, disorienting, and maybe even a, a little like that scary monster under the bed, I believe that doubt can actually move us closer to God rather than farther away. Peter Enns says, doubt is divine, tough love. God means to have all of us, not just the surface, going to church, volunteer part, not just the part people see, but the parts so buried that no one sees them, sometimes not even us. And doubt is powerful. It challenges us to stay in relationship with God and to move towards a deeper trust in God. When we have doubts, we acknowledge that we don't have all the answers about our faith or about God. Yet we can choose to trust God with childlike trust in spite of our doubts. Mike Iaconelli writes, in a healthy family, children's questions are not about answers. Their questions are about relationship. Children intuitively know their questions are welcome, appreciated, safe. And not only are children's questions welcomed, but they are welcome. In a welcoming environment where questions are safe, children are infected with curiosity, a fascination with truth, an unrelenting hunger to know and be known, to capture and be captured, to touch and be touched. When these children finally fall asleep at night, they are secure in the knowledge that the one who loves them is bigger than all of their questions. The God who loves us is bigger than all of our doubts and all of our questions. So if we don't have all of the answers, suddenly we have a bit of humility, don't we? The best kind of doubt is the kind that springs from humility, from an acknowledgement that we haven't got God all figured out, and from a willingness to admit that we can be wrong. And humility is a fine companion to take on the road, because nobody likes a know-it-all. So when Jesus tells us, go, doubts and all, we should go with a heart full of love, and a kind and generous spirit bathed in humility. And we should remember, we never go alone. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for the promise that you are always with us. Sometimes the darkness moves in. There's unexpected hurt and sorrow and tragedy, things that we can't explain. And sometimes, Lord, it feels like you're far away. But we know, we know you, we believe that you are with us through it all, guiding us, loving us, and growing us into the children that you always dreamed we would be. 
And we thank you for this, Lord. Amen.